On this episode, we talk design and development innovation. Welcome to the Investment Opportunity Podcast. We'll educate you on the latest investment trends happening in one of the hottest real estate classes, skilled nursing and seniors housing. We'll point out the risks so you can reap the rewards of investing in this growing and complex industry. And now your hosts, Ben Boland and Brandon Boland. Welcome to episode seven of the Investment Opportunity Podcast presented by Senwell Senior Investment Advisors. We are your hosts. I'm Brandon Boland, and I'm sitting beside Ben Boland today and the better looking one. For those of you who are watching on video, you can see if that's a true statement or not. But for those of you who are listening to the show, I will leave that to you to struggle with that comment. But Senwell... Let's get back to the the show here. Senwell is a skilled nursing and seniors housing mergers and acquisitions firm. And with us on the show today, we are so happy to have Lori Schultz. Lori is the principal at Avenue Development. And Avenue is a full service real estate development and advisory group focused on innovative solutions for wellness centered healthcare and senior living properties. Lori, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you, Brandon and Ben. I appreciate the invite. Excited to talk to you today. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Um, Could you actually tell us, if we could, to start the show a little bit more about yourself and Avenue and what you're doing over there? Happy to. Uh, While, you, as you said, we are a full-service real estate development and advisory firm, we're really a lot more than just development. I think that plays a lot into some of the trends that we're going to be talking about today. So we say that our tagline and mission is development with purpose, and we live that every day. When when my partner, Mike Mattingly, and I founded Avenue, we saw a need in the market that a lot of people who are developing healthcare properties, and specifically senior living and post-acute properties, were focused a lot on what is the traditional bricks and mortar. But the success of the buildings, as you know, from an investment standpoint, really depends on the success of the operations and the care that's happening in the building. And so Avenue is really founded on the belief that we have to understand the day-to-day operational success for our partners for the buildings to be successful. So along with being experts in actual real estate development and building the bricks and mortar, We do a lot of advisory work as well to underwrite deals, to look at specific markets, to be up to date on regulatory trends that are going to impact the business of our partners in the buildings and really help to advise our clients on to how to do a full holistic approach to a new development. That's really good information. So a lot of our listeners, we have people both who are currently in the industry and some listeners who are just looking to get into the industry. So we get people all the time that approach us that say, hey, you know, we might be in multifamily now or whatever it may be, and we want to move into senior living. So they could contact somebody like you to really just jumpstart the entire process if they want to do a new development deal. And you guys would be known as, in that kind of a role, the experts to help move them along. Right. It's a big investment, especially if you haven't been in the industry before. And so we have a lot of packages and they can also be customized to break it down into smaller pieces as you move along the analysis to decide if it's the right investment or not. 
Yeah, including the underwriting, it sounds like. So if they're going to know, you know, right out of the gate, what's a what's a good opportunity to look at and what's not just from working with you right out of the gate. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. Okay. So, so in terms of the trends you mentioned, um, I guess there's been obviously so many different trans transformative, uh, shifts over the years. And in terms of the actual construction design, what are some of the trends that you're seeing today? So the COVID pandemic in our opinion at Avenue has really just fast forwarded some of the trends that our industry has been looking at for a long time, but it's no secret that our senior living industry is slow to change. And, and a lot of the things that are being implemented now, I think a lot of people could argue could have been done five, 10 years ago. Um, but we're seeing a lot of shift specifically um, into technology. And I want to talk about that first, because I think if if people are going to look at a new development, a lot of people think, okay, well, what do I need to do? What's happening with socialization? And do I need to change dining areas or private rooms, air filtration systems? The number one advice I would give is to look at your technology that's going in the building and make sure that your wireless infrastructure, you have enough bandwidth to take on all the new technological advances that are happening post COVID, but also that's going to happen in the future that will change how we operate in a building and provide staffing efficiencies. Along with technology, I, you know, I mentioned some of the things in the bricks and mortar that people are looking at, at changing. Um, we're looking at a lot of different areas of dining. Uh, when, when the pandemic hit, and even right now, we're trying to address two concerns from the physical plant, safety and also socialization. Families want to know that, that their loved ones in these buildings are safe. The people moving in want to know that there are precautions that they're going to be looked after. Um, but they also, we don't want to take away the socialization aspect. And that was the first thing that, that went of our knee-jerk reaction. And, and so some of the new designs are, are looking at how we balance safety and socialization. Uh, specifically in areas like fitness centers and the salons, um, in the spa environments, even dining, we're looking at different types of materials for partitions um, and some that, that might have a see-through approach, but, but may, maybe a little more aesthetically pleasing than just the acrylic partitions that you're seeing everywhere. And so how can we in, use design to reconfigure those areas, um, but also keep uh, the residents safe by using partitions? So the other thing that we're looking at for visitors is how do you keep that socialization aspect? I know a lot of people who write, might not have a community right now that has a large front porch. Luckily, the, when the pandemic hit, it was spring going into summer. Uh, people have been using the front porch aspect on, on, to help their residents and families come to socialize. But on a new development, how can we bring in that feeling of, of safety in a front porch setting, you know, maybe inside to the lobby and have a segregated area that visitors aren't entering the, the main area of the community, but, but staying up front a little more isolated, but still provide opportunities for families to interact. So it sounds like you're almost introducing both permanent solutions as well as if they need to adjust the building design as they're quote unquote living in it, we can make some adjustments as we go. Is that fair to say? Yes, I think it's important 
for everyone to realize that some of the changes that are happening from COVID are going to be long lasting in our industry, but some of them are going to be short term. And since developments are, are a long term play, it's, you know, two to three years until we get these out of the ground. If you're starting from something today till it's opening, you want to make sure that you have the long term interest of your investment and of your residents in mind. Um, so I don't know that we have to totally get rid of dining rooms and, and say that that's never going to come back um, or all kinds of socialization in the wonderful community areas that have become so popular in our hospitality model of senior living but we have to think of a way that it can be done smartly and, and flexible because this is going to be on the minds of everyone and families who are making the decision for their loved one for years to come. That's great. So one of the comments that you had, though, too, is that it, it sounds like a lot of these technological changes are more geared towards things that the operator can implement, whether that be software or hardware devices built into the, the actual structure. Um, could you talk a little bit about maybe some technology that you're seeing with operators implementing with their residents or their patients? And how are they interacting with the operator itself and some of the staff within the operators? Is there any new technology that's out there that's beneficial to them and, and even how they're interacting with family members? Yes, as you just said, it's all related. And that's the beauty of technology. It, it helps in a cost-effective manner answer all of those. First, as you said, from the operational perspective, to, to hone in on the safety aspect that residents and their families are interested in, you want to minimize the touch points with staff. But it also is interesting because staffing efficiencies were a huge topic in our industry even before the pandemic hit. So some of the technologies that are really important for addressing this are remote patient monitoring. And this has been uh, fairly new in our industry, but very specific for higher acuity models usually. Uh, in post-acute, we were looking at this, but it, it has, direct benefits even to the, our lower acuity models and, and to our private pay assisted living and independent living facilities. If you can have remote patient monitoring and, and check on vital signs and different kinds of sensors that you can have in the room for temperature checks or motion sensors, all of this technology um, leads to what is called predictive analytics. And so people way, way smarter than I certainly am uh, create these algorithms that are used in the, in the tech that, of all the data that it collects. And it's able to spit out information on a software platform to the operators to say, hey, Mrs. Smith in room 123 is, is doing okay today. You might just need to check on her you know, one or two times uh, at these times a day. But Mr. Jones over in 243, um, is his motion is a little off from normal. And so you might wanna check on him a little more today. And so what that allows the operator to do one, you're having less touch points with Mrs. Smith um, instead of doing regular rounds. Uh, but for Mr. Jones, who needs more attention, you are being able to be more efficient with your staff and their time by dedicating those resources to the people that actually need it versus having regular rounds on each resident every day. And that almost, uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. 
No, go ahead. It, that almost seems like a solution that everyone has been waiting to implement, but COVID has almost been a scenario where it's just forcing people to implement much faster than anticipated. Absolutely. And I, we have been talking about these technology changes for the past two years and looking at it in our new developments, but you're absolutely right. It's, it, it's become from a nice to have to a need to have yeah. and the socialization aspect too. A lot of this technology that is being put in the resident rooms or even in community areas, most of it are, are just from the resident standpoint screens, right? Um, unless you're talking about the sensors. But if you're adding more video screens, those can be smart TVs, you can use tablets. And so all of those interfaces are able to use from a socialization aspect, not only to communicate with staff, but also family members. And some of our partners are using it as a way to create community engagement. So instead of having a get together in the dining room, you might be able to live stream movie night or do other activities virtually, um, even though everyone's not gathered in the short term, at least in one room. And a lot of, oh, sorry, a lot of these changes though, too, seem like they could be, and I, I do want to touch on this a little bit about maybe the difference between implementing technology in a new development project versus an existing um, maybe a renovation that somebody's going through. And, you know, it just seems like a lot of this technology could be implemented wirelessly now, today. So a lot of these changes that you're talking about seems like you could take any existing skilled nursing facility, assisted living facility, independent living, and implement a lot of this technology. But what are some things that people could think about with their existing assets versus some things that they may not be able to do, um, where they could accomplish through a new development project. I think you're right. Most of it is wireless technology. The, the gating factor to determine if you can do it in an existing building or a new development is really the bandwidth that you have coming into your facility. So that's why I said my, my number one advice when looking at a new development is to make sure you have fiber going to your building that you're going to have enough bandwidth. So seeing what is available on your existing project um, and to make sure that you're not taking away from bandwidth you have for your uh, electronic medical records or other vital things that you need at your community uh, for the new technology would be important. From a safety and socialization aspect on, on renovations, there's a lot of things that operators can do now that are inexpensive. We're working with several different architects who, who have some really unique ideas on how to package uh, some of these renovations by cost. So if, if you have it in the budget for a large CapEx project, you can do these things with your building if you only have a small budget, but still wanna react to what is happening post COVID and make your residents feel safer, you can do things in this bucket. Uh, it's really interesting and, and a lot of this technology, again, has been around. We just haven't had a catalyst to, to implement it, but things like, um, 
touchless fixtures, right? Like water faucets and um, toilet sensors, like that technology has existed, but that is pretty inexpensive to buy and, and, and renovate the building. Um, there's film that you can put on door handles and uh, other high touch surfaces. That's a microbial film that can be cleaned 50 to 60 times before it has to be changed. That's pretty inexpensive. Uh, things like doing voice activated sensors um, in elevators. Uh, and then you kind of move up higher into the cost. You know, I think just like when all of us are going uh, to a doctor's office now or um, other facilities, people are doing these temperature checks now, right? To make sure that, that there's, no, there's no fever. Well, a lot of times uh, to renovate a lobby or an existing entryway is not that expensive to have stations set up to do temperature checks, to do hand sanitizing, even foot sanitizing stations. Now, granted, those operators that maybe have more in CapEx can do a little bit more. You can do body scans of um, if you want to implement that level of technology to do temperature checks. It doesn't have to be handheld. Uh, but there's a lot of things that you can do to make people feel safe right when they come in that lobby entryway of the building. Yeah, so uh, obviously with all this technology, it, it, it can add up. Some of these things might be inexpensive, and you can, e even if they are quite costly, you can save through staffing or, or however the technology um, can replace it. But overall costs and construction costs, where do, you, where do you see it now? Where do you see it going? And then with the current projects that are currently out there, do you see any supply chain issues that that have come up just through the COVID outbreak? I really think implementing some of the technology on, on the cost of a new build is fairly minor. Um, even some of the more cutting edge things that I discussed, like the heat sensors, or if you're doing potentially like um, UV air filters, you know, if you're looking to do that on a grand scale, we might be adding a quarter million, $300,000 to the project cost. In a $20 million, $25 million development, that certainly doesn't break the bank. So we can seamlessly integrate a lot of that. Construction costs, you know, I think we're really early in this to see where the fallout comes. Uh, we are on the short term seeing construction costs come down. And I think the the suppliers and, and subs are having a knee-jerk reaction to a, a lot of the projects that have been put on hold, specifically a lot that um, was happening in the leisure and hospitality industry. So for the short term this summer or fall projects that we're going to start, we are seeing a slight pullback. My question really is the more for the midterm, things that are going to start next spring, where, where we go with that. Uh, the supply chain right now, everything that is coming from China, if you're doing a larger project that needs structural steel, we're starting to, to see that open up a little bit. But we have to remember, we're in an election year too, with some str pretty strong political wins that could go one way or the other. And so we're, we're facing, I think, a, a two-headed monster, so to speak, with um, the supply chain from the pandemic and what happens if there's the if we're in a second wave right now or third wave what happens to that supply chain and imports coming in um, but also how the countries that we import from what's going to happen with trade regulations and tariffs so i'm really interested to see next spring between those two things uh, where construction pricing goes 
I also am keeping an eye on the labor market. Again, right now we're seeing a pullback, but construction hasn't stopped. In most states, they considered construction an essential business, which, which is wonderful. Um, but there's been a lot of onus put on general contractors and, and the subcontractors to make sure their employees are safe. And depending on how long this continues, we could see some pressure in labor prices, even though the volume of projects may not be there. I think subs could be very aware of the fact that, that their workers are on the front lines doing essential work in construction, and we could see some pressure in labor pricing. That's a good point. So have you, um, I would imagine being in the development business, you pay attention to construction starts. Have you paid any attention to other industries and what their construction starts look like versus our industry right now? My only reason for the question is if there's any hesitation, a lot of times these days we see a lot of bad news with nursing homes and assisted living facilities. And so I think we're kind of in this temporary um, negative media gap where I think we need to get through it. And so um, I, I guess I would just be curious to know if you've paid any attention to other industry construction starts versus ours. That is so true. It is uh, so much is driven by what is in the media and our industry is strong. We have amazing operators that, that care about the aging Americans in this country and their families. And I have no doubt that we're, we're gonna get through this um, coming together and creating a different story. You know, I think again, the pandemic is showing, just highlighting some things that already existed. Um, the biggest construction start pause that, again, that we've seen is in hospitality and leisure and hotels, um, and, and kind of dovetailing that into the construction cost, especially if you're doing wood frame construction on senior projects, a lot of the hotel construction, unless it was large, um, is similar. And so I think that's been helping our pricing a little bit. Um, but trends in multifamily, um, those are going to ramp right back up, I think, very, very soon. Uh, everyone was just taking a small pause to make sure that before they move forward with large investments, we knew what was happening in the market. Thanks. That's helpful information. Um, another question I had is more on the debt side of things. So have you seen or paid attention to the debt markets as it relates to um, construction loans or any kind of MES financing? Yeah, this is one I would say that we're seeing more of an immediate impact, but no surprise, right? Most lenders are going to be very conservative. Uh, we're out to the market for a couple developments right now, either that are starting um, late this year in fourth quarter or early next year, early spring. And we have, we have definitely seen more of a difference now in the product type than we have before. Some of the business that we do at Avenue is medical focused um, and, and unique areas of medical office. Lenders on healthcare and medical related in general are very bullish. Um, and if anything, uh, given where market terms are, we've actually seen compression of some cap rates and interest rates in medical. 
the senior living and post-acute world has really spread the gamut. The independent living and active adult market, again, the lenders seem very bullish on that. They can wrap their head around that because it doesn't have a healthcare component and, and everyone is more self-contained. Um, as you get up into the acuity, into assisted living and skilled nursing, we are, we are definitely not seeing as much interest from lenders who don't have experience in that market. But if a lender has specific senior housing or post-acute skilled nursing experience, they're still interested. We're just seeing probably a 25 to 75 basis point increase on their underwriting. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, we're seeing the same thing. We And that, that also includes uh, any acquisition too. So we're, we're seeing a slight difference in, in some variations on that side. Uh, again, we're seeing the higher the acuity, the bigger the impact right now. It's um, just the fear of the unknown that exactly. everybody has right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, Lori, um, we really appreciate all of your um, information and your, your guidance and, and all of the knowledge that you brought to the table today. So how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more information? Well, I've enjoyed the conversation today. Um, would love for everyone to check out Avenue Dev, our website. Uh, it is AD. a great new website, by yeah. the way. You guys just oh, did a you. phenomenal job redesigning the website. You guys should all go take a look. Uh, and you can learn more about our wonderful team at Avenue. And that that's what makes our ship run is the great people that are there that I have the pleasure of working with every day. Um, our email address is info at avenuedev.com or you can reach me directly at lschultz at avenuedev.com. Lori, it was a pleasure and as expected, you did not disappoint. So thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the conversation. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, thanks. Lori. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the show. This is the What You Got segment. Since we just did a show talking about development projects, I want to take the time today to talk a little bit more about an opportunity to develop skilled nursing beds in Florida. We talked in a previous episode in a, another What You Got segment about skilled nursing beds in Palm Beach County, Florida. This opportunity is 100 plus skilled nursing beds that are available to develop in Bay County, Florida. Of course, the big city there is Panama City. If you have any interest in developing in that market, you can contact me directly at brandon at senwelladvisors.com. That's brandon at senwelladvisors.com. Thank you for listening to the Investment Opportunity Podcast. If you want to hear more about investing in the skilled nursing and seniors housing industry, head to our website at www.senwelladvisors.com slash podcast.